in the Lord. Those are the words found at the end of Psalm 31. Why don't you turn back there again this evening? We had an opportunity this morning to look at that passage. Uh, we uh, learned that uh, it's a message of hope to fellow hopers. Um, David, a man who hoped in God, saw God work in a, work, work, work in a wonderful way. And uh, he shared that to encourage those who hope in God to have the right response to God and to uh, be well-pleasing to him. Oh, love the Lord and be of good courage in the midst of difficulties. Uh, we learned about and we just saw that David was in the midst of and writing to a congregation of hopers. We saw and we uh, just shared the fact that even though we have hope, and this is the reason we need hope, because there are challenges of life that discourage people who hope in God. Uh, and then we learned about the conduct of hopers. We saw in the first six verses of this chapter how hopers trust in God. They call on God. They depend on God. And they are friends of God. Uh, and then we saw in verses 7 and 8 the comfort of hopers, God's kindness, God's awareness, and nearness. I, that really is verse 7. Uh, was especially precious to me. It says, For thou hast considered my trouble, thou hast known my soul in adversities. The thought that that a, a, a God in heaven, uh, in a world of what billions of people, uh, yet knows the pains that I feel in my everyday life and struggles of life and cares about those things and wants me to know that he cares and is concerned about the, the, the pain that I feel. And then, uh, God's deliverance is learned in verse 8. Uh, and that's where we left off. And we're going to look at tonight the cry or call of hopers. Uh, and we find that starting in, um, uh, well, let's see, where do we leave off? In verse 8. So we find that starting in verse 9. When uh, David wrote, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. My life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side while they took counsel together against me. They devised to take away my life. And by the way, if that's all we read of this psalm, we'd be like dismal, wouldn't we? Uh, and yet he said, but I trusted in me, thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you so very much that you hear the voice of your servants, of your of those who hope in you when they cry in the midst of difficulties. Thank you, Lord God, that, uh, that we can cry out to you and know that you care, you are aware of our problem, and that you can deal with and change our circumstances. Thank you that you go with us through the midst of difficulty, and I pray that your people would be encouraged once again tonight as we come to this, uh, your word, and find the great truth of Psalm 31 to encourage us to love you, to encourage us to, uh, to be, uh, be of good courage. And uh, we'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us tonight and encourage us from the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know the name Tom Sutherland? Probably not. It was June of 1985 when Muslims, you know, the peace-loving, keeping, uh, peacekeeping, loving, compassionate religious people, unlike fundamental Christians, you know, those people captured and held Mr. Sutherland uh, hostage until November 18, 1991. Six years he was in captivity, six years held as a hostage. We learned after the ordeal that much of his time was spent in solitary confinement. In his speech after captivity, he asked an unforgettable question. He said, do you know what it's like to be in prison, to be held hostage, to be a captive? It's very lonely, and you worry that people will forget you. I felt abandoned. I didn't think anybody even knew I was in prison. Now, that wasn't true. His friends held vigils repeatedly throughout his captivity that he didn't know about, he wasn't aware of, and yet they did because they cared for him and wanted to see him released. During his imprisonment, Sutherland could hear a radio that guards had. It was tuned to the BBC channel, and every day he would listen intently to the newscast. He was hoping and praying he might hear his name, hoping and praying that newscasters would talk about him on the air, tell the story of his imprisonment and his innocence. But his name was never once mentioned. And so he assumed that nobody in the, in the United States even knew he was being held hostage. But after six years of captivity, he was released. Government flew his wife, Jean, there for a reunion. And a few days later, they flew home together to San Francisco. And as they were getting off the plane, Tom saw a huge crowd at the airport. Light, television cameras, reporters, people were holding signs. Tom turned to his wife and said, Gene, look at all those people. There's got to be a celebrity on the plane today. Let's look around and see if we can spot who it is. And Gene said, honey, they're here for you. It's you. It's all for you. When his wife told him that, Sutherland started crying, and he couldn't stop. He sobbed like a little boy. He couldn't believe it. He said, I thought everybody, everybody had forgotten about me. I didn't think anybody knew I was in captivity. I felt completely abandoned. I didn't think anybody cared. Thank God I was wrong. You know, sometimes the greatest pain of trouble is feeling all alone. And most of the time that's not true. Our heart and mind often take us to that place of despair and loneliness. And quite frankly, the story that David tells, the event that took place in his life in Psalm 31, that he writes to encourage God's people with, that in that story, he was in such a place. He was there. 
And he told God that in his prayer. We just read those verses starting in verse 9. David is expressing the inner feelings he had about his current situation. And so we call it in our outline the cry or call of hopers. And the first thing we see is that the pains he felt are expressed. The pains he felt are expressed. And you see that starting in verse 9. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. The heartfelt hurts about the problem are shared here in verses 9 to 13. The pains are clearly expressed. Now, you say, well, songs aren't supposed to be melancholy. Well, then you've never listened to country western music, have you? Because like, what, 90% of those songs are gloom and despair and everyone's dying and everything's horrible and my, my girl left me, my dog left me, you know, and everything else. Um, truth is, you shouldn't be listening to that, and I don't listen to that on a regular basis, but you really can't miss it when, you're, when you live in this area, can you? Now, we've already mentioned, though, that the television evangelists, the health and wealth preaching of our day, acts as if those who love Jesus will always be happy, joyful, and everything's going to go just right in life. But the truth of the matter is, and the fact is, that Christians despair. They do. There are times in life when everything's taken away, and we have nothing nothing to rely upon, and uh, sometimes we feel like we have no one to rely upon, and that's why this psalm is so encouraging, because in the midst of a time when everyone was running away from him, we just read about that this morning, didn't we? Everyone didn't want to have anything to do. Don't want to have anything to do with David. Stay away from that guy. He's trouble. Man, you associate with him, and, you know, your life could be on the line. So they went the other way when David came, and yet David found that there was someone he could express his pains to, he could share his heart with. Um, sometimes we may be in the depths of despair. And David, I think, is a testament to that fact in this psalm. People who knew, know and love God, hopers, as we've been saying, but who were in great distress. And David is very open and frank with God in prayer. He pours out his heart to God. And I'll tell you, although it's a if it, you would, it's a discouraging part of the psalm. You know, it's like a, a despairing. You you read it and you think, oh man, this guy really is hurting. Yet there's wonderful consolation in these verses because he had someone he could call out to. He had someone he could cry out to. He had someone he could express his pains to when no one else really cared. And David was just open and frank with God. He pours out his heart to God, and we should be encouraged to do the same thing because we have a God who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, as Hebrews 4.15 says. And therefore, we're urged to come, in verse 16, boldly to the throne of grace that we might find grace to help in time of need. And that is exactly what David did. You know, there's times where you just don't feel like you can be honest about how you feel. A am I right? Look, has, have you ever had someone come up to you? I mean, you feel like you've just been in a in a boxing match match with some you know professional fighter. You're on the mat. You're you're beaten and bloody. You, you know you got you're black and blue. And someone comes up. How you doing? Fine. Okay. Of course, you never do that. I know. But uh, I would suspect there have been times, at least sometime in life, where you know. You didn't, you didn't express to anyone else how you felt because you didn't think you could. But there's a reminder in this chapter that 
even if you feel like there's no one you can share your heart with and express what's going on with, and you might put a smile on your face when you come to church, even though you don't feel like it, um, there's someone you can pour your heart out to. At any time of the day, any time of the night, any time of the year, even if it's a holiday, it doesn't matter to God. He's just interested in hearing your prayer and your cry. There's a God in heaven who won't shun you, who won't rebuke you, because you express your innermost feelings to him. There's a God in heaven who says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It's not just a platitude that we put on plaques for people, but these are the words of God. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So the pains are expressed, the heartfelt hurts about the problem. The plea is made. The plea is made. The earnest desire uh, in the problem. That's found in verses 14 to 18. So in verses 9 to 13, he's like, Lord, here's what I am. I'm like a dead man out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel. I've heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. They took counsel against me. They devised to take away my life. And then David says, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. And I still am. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. And so he comes now and he makes this plea. He has an earnest desire. God, work in this situation. I need you to do something. Um, Notice, make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me. Uh, let me not be ashamed, O Lord. I have called unto upon thee. So here is a guy, just he's pours out, has poured out his heart. And now he says, God, this is what I'm asking you to do. And aren't, aren't you thankful that you can not only tell God how you, how you really feel, your deepest hurts, and what, what really pains you, but you can also say, God, this is what I desire, and this is what I long for. I'm asking you to do this because I am trusting in you and because I am walking with you. See, hopers have the right to do that. They have the right to come to God and say, God, I'm pouring out my heart. I hurt. And then, God, here's what I'm asking you to do. God doesn't always answer exactly as we would see fit because there's a God in heaven who, knowing everything about us, sometimes allows us to go through that fiery furnace of affliction like he did Job, maybe even for a long while, because he has a purpose and he has a plan in it, and he'll work it all for good because he's a God who cares. But it's great to be able to come to him and say, God, I need you to work. A preacher was speaking about a lady uh, speaking, sorry, with a lady about a situation that was going on in her life. It was a difficult time for her, and he encouraged her to go to the Lord and ask for his help in the matter. He said, get specific with God about your desires, about your hurts. And the woman said this, God's promised to meet my needs, so I don't believe a Christian should be asking for selfish things. And the pastor had to take some time and confront her with the error of thinking in such a way. One commentator saw this remark about God's goodness in verse, um, in verse 19, or how great is thy goodness. And here's what he said. The psalmist seems to have felt that it was an inexpressible privilege thus to be permitted to appeal to God with the assurance of the divine protection. In few circumstances do people feel more grateful for the opportunity of appealing to God than when they are reviled. And by the way, if it's selfish to ask God to meet our needs, 
then David was probably one of the most selfish Christians in the world. How many Psalms are like this one? Where he pours out his heart and says, I'm hurting, Lord. And I need you to do something. And I'm asking you to work in this way. Look, that is the divine privilege of believers. Yes, we should never forget to pray for others. And yes, we should be concerned about others. And and our prayers shouldn't only be me-focused. But there are times in life when the fires of affliction are burning that we need to just get on our knees before God and plead with him to work. And we can. And we can come because he cares. It's not selfish to long for deliverance, nor is it selfish to come to our Lord in prayer and say, here's my hurts and here's what I'm asking, and then to leave our lives in God's hand. You know, I, um, as with into thy hand, I commit my spirit. And so we find the psalmist uh, doing those things. So we have the pains that are expressed, verses 9 to 13. We have the plea that is made in verses 14 to 18. And then in starting in verse 19, what do we see? And it's interesting because as best we know, verse 19 is still written from the perspective, I'm in trouble. Verse 21, he says, I'm looking back now, and God delivered, okay? But in verse 19, he's in the trouble. All right, so in the trouble, what does he do? That's right. The praise is commenced. He pours out his heart. He pleads with God to work in situation. And yet, in that, he's still able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't that what Job did? Lord giveth, Lord taketh away. Woman, you speak as one of the foolish women. Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this did Job not sin with his lips. Praise is commenced. We have four verses of praise at the end of the chapter, encouraging hopers. The psalmist was always quick to give words of praise to God for deliverance, but he looks in verse 19, he says, I know your goodness is great, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. I know that. See, the reason David could praise is not because God had removed it, but because God, he knew God's character. Lord, you have been faithful throughout history. He could look back. He could look at how God had worked in the children of Israel, how God had delivered them from Egypt. He could look at different periods of history as he read through and knew uh, much of the Old Testament. And he could say, look, God, you have been faithful. You always have been faithful to your people. And I'm trusting you now to do that. And so he could praise God. And sometimes... Quite honestly, when we look at the events of our life and we see everything falling apart, we might say, there's nothing I have to praise God, but there's always something to praise God about. And sometimes it's looking elsewhere, not at just what's going on in my life right now, but to look back at God's faithfulness and to say, Lord, you've been faithful in the past, and I'm going to praise you that you are a faithful God, and I'm going to count on you to be the same even now. So we have a man. Pours out his heart. Here's how I feel, Lord. And here's what I'm asking you to do. And God, I'm just going to praise you because you're a good God. In fact, isn't that what we're told when, to do when we're anxious? We're to everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's your request for made known unto God. And that's when the peace of God 
that passes on the sins. Let's seek your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And sometimes we leave off that little with thanksgiving because we don't like that part. And it's hard to do. In fact, quite honestly, it's the absolute hardest thing to do when you're in the midst of despair to turn around and say, God, you're a good God, and I want to praise you for being such a good God. In fact, that's the last thing you want to do. But it's true. And um, and there's a, a wonderful challenge here for Hope Weeks. There's something that costs uh, that... Uh, uh, again, w- was a reminder here, and it, it really caught my eye. That verse 19, truly is someone that's in the midst of it, and he's saying, you know, maybe I don't see any reason to praise God in my current circumstances, but you're still a good God. And you've laid that up for all people that fear you. And I've seen that, and I've known that, and your people have known that, and God, I'm sure I'm going to see it again. You're going to hide them in the secret of your presence from the pride of man. You'll keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. So what does he say? Blessed be the Lord. Now, again, verses 21 and 22. Uh, actually, not really to verse 22, because it, it almost seems like he's going back and forth. He, For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. The praise is commenced. Um Look at verse 22 again and what I just said. Uh, That's another thing that kind of jumped out at me. David wasn't perfect. What did he say? For I said in my haste. What what did he say? At some point in his difficulty. I'm all alone. God doesn't care. Hey. Let's be honest. There's times we get there. They say, well, a Christian should never get there. David, a man who was a man after God's own heart, loved God, got there, got cut off. But that didn't stop him from praying. It didn't stop him from praising. It didn't stop him from pouring out his heart unto God. There are times where I think like the, the man who came to Jesus Christ said, heal my son. The Lord said, if you have faith, I can do it. And, and he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou thy unbelief. And there are times, look, when, when things are so dark that, um, that you start to really question. I'm, I'm cut off. I've been praying about this. I've been pouring out my heart, my hurt. I haven't seen any answers. I'm still in difficulty. It hasn't changed. Praying, I I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And God says, look, if you've you've been hoping in me, if if you've been trusting in me, I'm here. Do you feel like it? And I I love how it ends, right? Don't you? Look, how does the verse end? Because he said in his haste, in this midst of this difficulty, in, in the struggle, he came to a place where he said, I'm cut off and even God doesn't hear me. Then what does he say assuredly? But but I was wrong. I'll tell you this. There will come a day, if you'll keep walking with God, if you're in the midst of it, where you come out on the other side and say, you know, I thought that I was wrong. I thought I was alone, but I was wrong. I thought he didn't hear, but I was wrong. Because he... 
great is thy faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. And um, it's easy to say when you're on the other side of it, but he's honest enough to say, when I was in the midst, in my haste, when everything was, when the pressures were greatest, I had a moment there. I, I kind of wonder when this was. We're not told when this happened. I, you know, I like to speculate. I like to think, okay, when would David have said this? I, perhaps when he ended up going to the land of the Philistines for a time. When he's, he's running from Saul and God every day is protecting him. We talked about it this morning. He's running on one side of the mountain. Saul's on the other side. He's in Keilah. He's saved the people. And then he said, will the people give me over to Saul? And the Lord said, yeah, so you better run. And he basically runs for his life and, and, and gets away. And, and his words finally are, one day I'm going to be killed by the hand of Saul. And I need to do something. So he takes things in his own hands. And maybe it was at that moment where in his haste he said, I'm all alone, i got to do something on my own. But he still found that God was faithful, and God was. I, I don't know, what was, what was David thinking when he was going to go fight against the children of Israel? What was David thinking? He was going to go fight against his own people. As best we know, God in his mercy just had the lords of the Philistines say, we don't want David. What's wrong with you? And uh, maybe it was at that moment he was just reminded. And then he goes back and his, 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 his wives, his possessions and everything have been taken. And God miraculously works, even though David had been in rebellion against God and had run on, on, been doing things on his own. And yet... Maybe it was here where he says, in my haste, I said, God doesn't care, and I, I'm just going to do something. And then he just sees how, how God still cared, and God still was working, and God, God still had compassion on him and failed. And, uh, and, and this is a beautiful chapter for hopers. It really is. It really is. And then we have the conclusion or the challenge conclusion or challenge for hopers. So what's the conclusion? Two things we're told in verses 23 and 24. Actually, you could probably say more, but, but two statements that those who hope in God are encouraged with. So what's the first thing we're told? Okay, the Lord preserved. We're told that that's what God does, but before that, what does he tell them to do? Huh. Love the Lord. All right, so just put it down. Love him. Here's what he's saying. The conclusion for all believers, from my experience, David said, love God. You hope in God, love him. Because this is how he works. God preserves. He, he guards. He protects. That's what the word means. He maintains. And that's described in this song. Here is a man in desperate difficulty, and he found that God indeed was his friend, his protector in the time of need, and God should be loved for that. Now, that's not the only reason to love him, but that's certainly a good reason to love him. In fact, notice what he says. For the Lord preserveth the faithful, and he does what? 
who not only rewards and, and, and blesses his own, but then what does he do as well? Well, and you can say it, it's free. You say what? Verse 23, look at it. The Lord preserveth the faithful and. Huh. All right, so the enemy has been coming against me. They've been doing all these things, and I want you to know that God not only rewarded me, but God judged them, and that's the way God works. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so he says, love God, because God is, God is consistent. He always is. He always will be. Now, in the individual events of life, it's not going to always look that way. And doesn't this chapter even tell us that? I felt all alone. My friends, when I come up, would run. It was bad. So bad that in my haste, I said, God, God has loved me. God doesn't care about me. I'm alone. So in the individual events of life, there's the reality, and I believe Job got there and probably other saints as well in the Bible. You might come to the place where you just say, I, I don't see this to be true, but it's true. Well, I don't see how God blesses the righteous and judges the, judges the wicked. I don't always see it, and it's true in the individual events of life. But overall, in fact, we're going to understand this. We're going to understand this completely when we enter glory and understand that we were wicked sinners and just as deserving of hell as anyone else, but God, God had mercy on us. And God um, rewards. And we're going to see how, uh, probably in many ways, how um, what a man sows, he reaps. Because that's how God that's how God works. So love him. Um, God judges the wicked. God rewards the faithful. By the way, isn't that the idea of Romans twelve one and two? I beseech you, therefore, brethren. What what's the therefore based on? All of it's written in the book of Romans from chapter 1 through chapter 11. And you know what it's all about? Sinners, we don't deserve God's mercy. We can't get to heaven by our works. Abraham didn't, and no, nor has any other person throughout history gotten to heaven by their works. We're saved by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have this beautiful picture in Romans 1 through 11 that God has had mercy on Gentiles and Jews alike to offer them freely the gift of salvation, even though all men deserve to go to hell, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And it's because God has been so merciful, we should love him. Present your body a living sacrifice. Love him. That's the challenge. In the New Testament, loving God is expected. We love him because he first loved us. God loved us first. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us supremely. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy,
For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God loved us sacrificially, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is our motivation to serve. For the love of Christ constrains us. Love the Lord. Love the Lord, O ye his saints. He's worth your loving. He's worth your devotion. Joe Harding told the heartwarming story of a man who finally decided to ask his boss for a raise in salary. It was on a Friday. He told his wife that morning he was going to do it. So all day the man was nervous. He was apprehensive. He summoned the courage late in the afternoon. He approached his employer, and to his delight, the boss agreed to a raise. The man arrived home to a beautiful table set with the best china. Candles were lit. His wife had prepared a festive meal. Immediately he figured someone from the office tipped her off. Finding his wife in the kitchen, he told her the good news. They embraced. They kissed. They sat down to a wonderful meal. Next to his plate, there was a beautiful lettered note. It read, Congratulations, darling. I knew you'd get the raise. These things I did tell you how much I love you. On his way to the kitchen to get dessert, he noticed a second card had fallen from her pocket. Picking it off the floor, he read read these words. Don't worry about not getting the raise. You deserve it anyway. These things tell you how much I love you. Total acceptance. Total love. Her love for him wasn't contingent upon his success at work, his raise, or anything else. It was just the opposite. If he were to fail, he was going to get that meal. If he was rejected by the boss, he was going to get that meal. If he lost his job, he was going to get the meal. If he got the raise, he was going to get the meal. And she loved him. And my friends, that's what God has done for us. To love God. Hopers need to love God. He's worthy of it. Hopers also need to, verse 24, be of good courage. The psalmist said it well in another place. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Those words just a few chapters before, Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, remind us to be of good courage. The word courage means to be strong. Isn't that interesting? Look look at what it says. Be strong, and he shall strengthen your heart. Doesn't that sound strange? Wait a second. I don't have strength. So how can I be strong? Being strong uh, is being strong in our, if you would love, our affection and our desire for God. 
And when we take whatever strength we have and don't apply it to our problem, but apply it to God, we will find that God then provides the strength for dealing with the problem. Be of good courage. Be strong in your love for God. Hang on to him. And you'll find that strength in your heart will give you hope and you hope in him. Isn't that, that's kind of real, really actually it's a strange verse. Be strong and God will strengthen. Hope and God will give you hope. as the psalmist did and as the psalmist testifies in these last two verses. God's good. It's easy. It's easy to smile when everything's just going fine. But David is encouraging those who hope in the Lord to do what he chose to do, to love God and to be strong in the Lord. He found that God was faithful when he did that. And and you will too. You will too. Um, I don't know about you, but Psalm 31 is just a great psalm to think about. <laughs> and I hope you'll find it to be an encouragement if you happen to be in dark days. And if you don't, when they come, Psalm 31. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the great God you are, and and help us to love you because we've been loved. Um, Help us to love you and to, to be of good courage because you're God. As we hope in you, who will meet every need, and you'll love us and help us in the darkest night. And may we find that help in time of need, as David did and encourages us with. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know what I really liked about our time in Psalm 31? 